Hello and welcome to another The Analysis interview uh, coming from TotalFootballAnalysis.com. On this podcast, um, myself, David Seymour, I take uh, sort of interviews with people from all kinds of different backgrounds within, within the professional game. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Dunn, who is the Head of Academy Performance Analysis. Have I got that right, Simon? That's correct. Yeah. Hi, David. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for joining us, Simon. So, at the beginning no of these interview, at the beginning of these interviews, I just uh, always like to sort of ask a little bit of background um, on yourself, who you are, how you got to where you are today. Uh, perfect. Yeah. So, as you said, um, head of uh, sort of lead academy analyst, uh, analyst at Luton Town. Um, I've been there for seven seven years now. So quite a long time. So I've seen quite a few changes throughout the club and the department. Um, but sort of how I got to that role was um, sort of started my journey in football as, as most do as a player. Um, nothing fancy, just sort of academy level here and there. And then sort of uh, uh, didn't didn't quite make the grade. Um, went into coaching just on my local side. And then uh, sort of that was my inspiration for my degree, uh, which I did was a sports science and coaching degree. Um which although it was a coaching degree, sort of you cover loads of different elements, your sports science, your nutrition, psychology, you know, biomechanics and uh, and obviously the coaching element. Um, and within the biomechanics and the coaching element, we sort of delved into the field of analysis, um, which for me uh, was really my first sort of introduction to, to analysis, uh, both biomechanical and the sort of tactical side of it. And I, I felt more became more enamored with the tactical side of it really um and it was you know I, I came from a sort of a small village growing up and you know we had sky sports when i was younger and you sort of get li- little bits of analysis when you're growing up but really until you get the given the tools like i did at university to try it for yourself that's that's sort of where i really became sort of you know really really involved with the field and my kind of passion for it and sort of interest in it grew from there really um, and then did, did an internship at Luton through the university uh, all those years ago. And basically, they've not been able to get rid of me yet. So I've been there ever since, really. Um, so that's a sort of a really brief kind of background of from how I've got to where I am now. Um, but yeah. So, so one of the things that um, I often hear people ask analysts at clubs um, is, firstly, um, do they do they can they code? Do they have a fluency in a programming language? Um, yeah. And secondly, did they, did you learn that yourself or did you learn that at university? Um, so in, we can code in the sense of like tagging events and sort of and statistical stuff, uh, either live or post-match. Um, in terms of coding, like designing programs and stuff, that's not, from my sort of perspective, that's not something that I've felt I need to be fluent in. Um, obviously, you need to be well versed in uh, in various softwares and sort of and kind of inner workings really of computers and MacBooks and you know technology and stuff. That really, really does help. Um, so if you have got a sort of a coding background, however minimal, that does really sort of that's a really good thing to have in your repertoire um, essentially. Uh, but as I say, from my perspective, it's, it's not something I've seen as essential. Um, but I do see more and more when we get applications in more and more that is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's now something easier to do at home. Whereas maybe when I started, it was something like you say that 
universities are able to offer you um, because they've got the facilities and the equipment and the sort of the, the, the know-how. But, you know, like nowadays you can go on YouTube or anything, you know, video site and you type in whatever you want to learn. And within a month you can learn essentially whatever you want, really, just from, from the comfort of your own home. Mm. Okay, so what, what comes under the sort of umbrella term that is performance analysis? What does your day-to-day uh, sort of world look like? So, so when I first started, I thought it would be quite simple. I thought it would be film, film a game and, or some training and do do some highlights essentially or t- just clip whatever the coach wants to see. And it's far, far from that simple, I'm afraid. It's, it, you, you can take it really ha- as, as far as you like, um, depending on your, your knowledge, your manpower in your department, your equipment. Those are all sort of limiting or, um, you know, sort of factors that can benefit you. Um, but we sort of, if I sort of go through a, a, a brief sort of a week view of what we, what we try and do at Luton. Um, so obviously you've got your, your match day on a Saturday. That's the easiest place to start Saturday or Sunday for the, for the younger lot for the foundation phase. Um, so it's, it's, it's filming the game. Um, and then it's, it's filming them either from, you know, side on halfway line views. You've got uh, tactical views where you can try and get the whole pitch in player cams, uh, you know, even just the filming of it, you can go as far as you like um, in terms of what you and the coaching staff uh, want from it. Perhaps what the uh, sports scientist wants from it, if they're if they're looking to get certain physical outcomes out of the game from certain players or just from the team in general. Um, so you set up your camera, however, or cameras, um, however you want, uh, and then we try and live code as much data and as many instances as we can. Um, so that's tagging, you know, anything from s- simple stuff like goals, shots, chances, etc., to uh, philosophy stuff. So the club philosophy um, sort of centres around uh, creative players who can play through the thirds um, with a desire to work hard. So if we can show examples of players doing that and add that to sort of almost like a database to show other players coming through the academy, um, but then also sort of evidence of players perhaps not doing that then that's something that can be highlighted for them to sort of improve on um and again you know you you can tag statistical stuff as well as visual instances so we try and do as much of that as we can on the day so that as much data as possible is uh available for the coach whether that be at half time full time even you know just sort of midway through the half if it's if it's a high pressure game um like for us like fa youth cup games for example and then anything we can't do on the day uh that would be coded sort of uh post-match that might be saturday evening that might be eating into sunday mornings um that might be eating into your whole weekend depending on how much how much you need to do and how much the coach you know wants to go through in the following week how, uh, how much are your post- you got Sorry, sorry, just a quick one. How much no, of your post-match stuff is reactive and how much is sort of in line with the coach and the club's philosophy? So from my, obviously I can only talk from my personal experience and, and in the time I've been at um, Luton, I've worked under three three coaches uh, with the sort of in the professional development phase and three very different coaches, three three very good coaches in their own respect, but in terms of their analysis, uh, view on analysis, quite different. Um, so a lot of coaches are, it used to be very reactive. 
So if you know if we lost three two to a last minute game and we conceded a corner, I almost knew preemptively that Monday morning we would be looking through all the set piece, defensive set pieces mm-hmm. and you know all the corners maybe from that game and maybe from the game before, sure. which has its you know it has its benefits because it's it's fresh in the players' minds. It's it's obviously something we need to work on um, from a certain from a certain angle. But then the recent most recent coach I've been working with is very much <clears throat> our syllabus for the next six weeks is this this and this this topic. You know, I'd, even if we concede five from corners, we are still going to work on playing out from the back. We're still going to work on you know switching play. So it's it's very coach dependent, and it I think if it's something that keeps occurring when it gets to individual level. So maybe a player keeps making a certain mistake over and over again or a certain has a certain problem during the game, then it you know, it, we can sort of start to focus on that and that might take priority over a, a syllabus topic for for example. We we try and steer away from reactive stuff though. Mm-hmm. Um because I think then the, the, the player's learning ends up being all over the place. Like Monday they're doing set pieces, Tuesday they're doing switching play you know Wednesday they're doing something else and there's there's no real continuity or there's no time for the players to grasp what we're actually trying to you know get through to them mm. whereas if, if we can maybe we'll spend two or three days on one topic make sure they understand the basics of it at least and then we've got a foundation to maybe revisit that topic in three months and we can build on it and you know build on their detail their level of detail and their level of knowledge um as I say it, Differs from coach to coach and analyst to analyst, but from us, it's less reactive if we can. <laughs> there's, there's some so a question I always ask, and I get such a variety of answers, and, and, and I love that. But I have to, I have to ask, what, what is your personal preference um, in terms of video, uh, in terms of the relationship between video and statistical analysis or data an, uh, yeah. analysis? And then, what about the academy as a whole? What do you feel they value? Uh, so my personal opinion, um, I think stats, stats are a tool to make your point. And I, the difficulty is continuity in the stats and reliability of the stats, because in, a, in our case, it's, it's especially academy level. It's, it's the analyst will be doing the stats. So I might watch a game and another analyst or another three analysts might watch a game and you can guarantee we'll come out with different stats. So. For me, that sort of quest brings the reliability of it into question. However, if I'm the analyst doing the same stats week in, week in, week out for each game, then maybe the reliability starts to come in there because it's the same person doing it. Um, but I go back to my sort of original answer in that I think stats are a tool to make your, to illustrate your point. Um, whether that is, a true reflection of the game or not i i don't think it is um for example <clears throat> a coach might say you know we we've conceded crosses from the left hand side twice they've created chances both times but oh, we're letting in too many crosses you know and the truth of the matter might be those are the only two crosses that have come in all game but because it's had a sort of um it's had an effect on the game then you know, it, it becomes highlighted. So I think with, with stats, you get a lot of outcome bias and, and positive results bias where on the flip side, if 
if the coach's eyes or the analyst's eyes tell them the game, we've done really well in the game. Sometimes the when you're sort of creating the statistical feedback afterwards and actually the stats come back and they're they're not as positive as you'd hoped, I've definitely I've been asked to, you know, sort of almost hide the negative stuff wow. and just show the positive. Which again, there's there's massive differences between first team and academy because academy is completely about development and it's completely about the learning process and it's there there is an argument for hiding maybe something that will damage a player's learning okay. if and but who's you know who's to say whether that's right or wrong mm. I, I don't know um but as i say yeah negative stats have definitely been hidden before and positive have, have been highlighted to make to make a point um that doesn't sit easy with me but a lot of the time I, i'm not in the in the position at the club sure. to sort of say, you know, what goes on a lot of the time I'm asked, this is what I want to highlight. Have we got stats to highlight it essentially? So yeah, I, th- I think the video based stuff is, is much more powerful because you can't argue with it in a lot of, you know, cause it's there. You, you, if, if he's missed a tackle, he's missed a tackle. It's there. Whereas stats, you know, can be played around with artistically, should we say? Um, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know if you know. I don't know if you've heard that from other clubs or other points of view, or whether there's people have alluded to that and maybe not, mm. <laughs> maybe not said it as clear cut as I have. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's incredibly interesting, and you're right. I can see that there are definitely uh, merits merits to it. Uh, there, mm. There's something I wanted to ask you about the recruitment side. Now, when, when players come in for trials and you know they're trialing over a, a prolonged period of time, is it is it your yep. job to help the coaches make a decision on that player or are we still in a space where analysis isn't used as much for trials? It's still sort of the coach's eye. Yeah, I think it's a good question actually because we this is something that we've sort of tried to really work on at, at Luton because because we've had a... So we're, we're a Category 3 academy which um, sometimes we don't get enough eyes on a player to make an informed decision sometimes. So when the sort of the overall meeting at the end of the trialist period occurs, there might might be people in there who've seen him twice, mm. um, and they're they're involved in the decision process. And you know whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But I think as an analyst, our our role really and our responsibility for for the club and for that trialist player really is to give everyone the best, the most evidence and the best. Make, put them in the best position to make the most informed decision. So, because coaches like certain players, so a, a coach might like a physical, explosive player who attacks people. You know, whether, whatever the success rate, the, the rawness of a player, and if you know if a player comes in who's not quite like that, you know, there is a danger of of people sort of almost disregarding them because they're not the player that they always look for, or for the the player that really excites them from the first five minutes. They might be a quiet little technical player in the background who actually, when you look, watch it, the game back, you're like great positioning, you know, really reads the game really well, which is not the obvious mm. stuff. So that, that's where we come in where, you know, again, with the video stuff, don't, don't use stats on, uh, on trial players. If we can, uh, physical data, maybe so GPS stuff, but that will come under the sports science, uh, sports scientists at the club. From us, it's more the, the visual stuff, a lot of off the ball, um, because that's, you know, 90, 90 whatever percent yeah. of the game as a player is mm. off the ball. 
So, and you know, people aren't necessarily going to be looking at a trialist off the ball. What about um, what about off the pitch so entirely? If, if we so that that becomes that becomes the entire academy staff will be looking at things like that. Will be you know we always have to bear in mind that it's an incredibly hard environment to come into. That especially if a lot of the trialists we get know some of the players that are already in because because of our catchment area. Um, but if you're coming into an environment where there's already 18 players who, you know, have been there since they're nine years old. So a lot of them have known each other 10 years. A lot of them known the staff 10 years, have known the environment 10 years, uh, for example. And you've got to, you've got to, essentially, you've got to impress and prove to those staff and players why you should be kept on for another year, another two years, another so on. So it's a really hard environment to come into. So that alone, before they even start playing, is they're almost, it's almost up against them. So we've got to try and give them the best the best tools to behave properly off the pitch. Um, so they all get given codes of conduct in their sort of trialist paperwork so they know what we expect. There's meetings with parents. So there's no sort of illusions when they come in that they might be a really good player, but if they are poor and sloppy off the pitch then uh, we, we as a club are, are massive on that and I think we're now in a position where we can afford to afford to bring that into our decision making where as I say if they're a really good player but they're not they're not what we look uh, look for off the pitch they might disrupt disrupt the group we've got then you know I think that's something that we take into consideration when making a decision on them essentially but as you know as a sort of a whole collective uh, group of staff we sort of want to come away from the fact that it's just the coach watching them because again it's you know as as a footballer you are not just what you do on the pitch you are what you do off the pitch you're what you do physically with the sports science stuff are they good learners so that's when the analysis stuff comes into into play like what the knowledge they've got can we improve on it you know can they can they offer something back can they of course the uh, under 17s, 18s, they've got a scholarship to complete as well. So, you know, what's their education like? What's their school record like? You know, we it's quite an in-depth process, which people outside might not realise it is. It's a really, really in-depth process um, when we bring trialists in. And, you know, every staff member, especially at Luton, is, is involved in that. Um, whether we have an involvement on the yes, no, uh, physically, but we'll give enough data and enough evidence to try and give the people who are in that position the best informed uh, informed decision. Fantastic, that was a fantastic answer. Um, so, Simon, <laughs> I want to Simon, I wanted to jump on the um, analysis department's role in terms of player development and their their player their player pathway. Yeah. Um, I would presume you you have an instrumental yeah. role. In, in this part of their uh, academy experience, we, we, uh, we yeah we'd like to think so. Uh, we, we we try. Um, it's uh, it would it might sound a little bit cheesy, but you know at, at, at Luton, which we always try and create better people as well as better players. And you know, it's it's a simple saying, but it's it you know it takes quite a lot of work to do, um, and it, it takes buying from all the different departments. Um, and, and as you say, in the analysis department, we focus mainly in the sort of technical, tactical corner. We can dip in and out the, the other sort of four, uh, three corners, but that's our sort of main focus. Um, 
and over the last sort of couple of years, um, it's myself and my, uh, one of my colleagues, Michael Malone, um, who uh, is the 16s and 15s analyst. We've been trying to sort of come up with ways where we can give the players the knowledge in, in, in the best sort of in the best help they're learning, essentially. So something we try and do is um, the analysis sessions themselves have changed from all sort of 15 players from the weekend into a classroom or a a, you know a canteen or a conference room or whatever in front of a big screen coach and analyst at the front or coaches um at the front will go through some clips i as a coach or analyst will tell you what i think and then we'll ask any questions at the end sort of thing um that for us sort of was almost a bit of a dictatorial environment and we weren't really sure how much learning mm-hmm. the players were getting out of it because Again, you know, especially again into teenage years, it's it's a difficult thing to to raise your hand and ask a question in front of fourteen of your mates, kind of thing. So we we try to flip it in that you know, can we get the players to can we get them to present back to us more than we're presenting to them because they're the ones that played the game. So you know, we we have a view from the sideline or from the camera, but they might have a completely different view from actually in the game and what they found from it. So we'll uh, we'll split into units for a start. So it's no longer a team with all fifteen players in at once, because the amount of times that players were switching off when the analysis wasn't about them, um, you know, which which is is fair enough. If if I'm a striker and they're talking about the centre back, you know, teenagers, younger younger children will ask sort of questions themselves like, does this really concern me? So do you know? I, I might just switch off now and then as soon as he starts talking about going forwards. I'm back in the room sort of thing. So we split into units and whether that's defensive midfield attacking, as simple as that, goalkeepers or partnerships, i.e. like the right fullback and the right wing, uh, winger, right forward, centre half and centre back, for example, uh, into units. So there might be three or four players in each unit. They've got a topic uh, for pre-match. So we'll go through examples of them as players doing it in previous games. Um, so a centre half, for example, driving out. Let's show them examples where they drove out. Um, we'll ask them, you know, what were you thinking there? What what initiated that? You know, what's the is the opposition team? Does that affect it? Does the position of our fullbacks? You know, just ask loads of questions, loads of open questions, and start a discussion rather than a rather than a sort of question and answer session, really. So that'll be the pre-match, and then we'll obviously play the game. Um, the analyst myself will clip instances from the same topic and in the post-match it'll be the same sort of thing they'll go through the clips they'll pick which ones they want to show so they won't have to show all of them they might just pick four clips where they did it really well four clips where actually we didn't do so well or a mix and then get up in front of the rest of their peers and talk about why you know basically just discuss what happened what their thoughts on the game were uh, it's a good opportunity for them to bring up any issues they thought they had during the game that they might not have identified on, you know, in during the game, but actually afterwards on reflection, you know, I just, I could not, I could not drive out and I, I don't know why. And now I've watched it back, you know, so it's now the environment is a, is completely changed. It's a discussion rather than a, a lecture, essentially. Um, so that, Brings into things completely away from football is, is your communication skills for the players, presenting skills, which is a you know it's, it's a it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, it's not a natural thing to do for a lot of people. 
you know, like question and answer skills and being able to sort of take either constructive criticism or being able to take positives but not letting it affect your you you know your confidence or you sort of how you hold yourself around or your behavior around the training ground and around around the uh, around the environment so we we found it's been a really positive experience uh, the relationship between the coaching staff and the sort of support staff and the players has changed dramatically you know we we can now have a bit of banter uh, between the two you know between the players and but we both know that line between the banter and mm. right now we're here to learn now I'm giving you some information that I really want you to take on board and I really want you to try and exhibit in the game and if you can't then I want you to now feel comfortable enough to come to me or the coaching and just and say I'm I'm really having difficulty with this I, you know can we can we go through it again which I think in previous regimes maybe wasn't the case and it was you know this is what I want you to learn that's how you're going to learn it all right uh, any questions no one asks asks any questions because sure. the environment so we assume they've learned it and then it comes to next Saturday and they don't do what we've asked and we, you know everyone throws their hands up and starts scratching their heads so that that for me you know your basic people skills you can team that up with the analysis bit um and I you know we've as I say we've had a really positive experience from it and we you know we want to continue that through you know, especially the 18s and 16s maybe the younger age groups and see see where we get to that's fascinating um, but yes yeah, so I, I think that's sort of how we how we got about you, it yeah have you found other clubs have been taking a similar approach or doing similar things um so i because i've um, been in the position quite a while i know quite a lot of the sort of analysts around especially the southeast area southwest area where the majority of our games have played uh, games games are played sorry and i Without showing off, I always try and say, you know, this is what we're doing. So I think it's important to, to share experiences and share, you know, what you're doing because I, I don't see any benefit in hiding what we're doing. Um, in the hope that, you know, Gillingham won't go and copy you or Stevenage or, for example, I, I think it's important yeah. to share with other analysts. And the conversations I've had is that clubs are starting to change the way they do things. Um, and I think the role of the, analyst and the sports scientist and the physio is now becoming more it's the the coach doesn't have the final say necessarily like we can we can give our input and it, it's we can give our views and opinions and they're heard and they're sort of thought upon and it's a discussion and whereas before i think it was a little bit coach led maybe or academy manager led or head of coaching led where this is what we're doing we don't do you know we don't deviate so i i, I think what we're doing at Luton is is positive and I think we're perhaps maybe without you know being sort of big-headed I think we're perhaps ahead of the ahead of the curve if that if that's yeah. if that's the right saying where we, we're trying to push the boundaries of what we do especially for a category three academy um you know we, we try and focus our time on stuff that's really going to benefit the players and if it's not going to benefit the players like really what's the what's the point in doing it essentially so I, I think other clubs are sort of definitely uh, starting to think about differentiating the ways that they can go about their business, which for me is, you know, if the whole football environment as a whole changes for the better, then I, I don't see how that can be a bad so, thing. So something you mentioned about this process was that it gives important life skills. 
And that was actually something that I, re- I wanted to bring up with you. Something that yeah. I noticed with a lot of the academies is really making sure they take a more holistic approach to a player's development. Is yeah. that something that you stress to the players about these important life skills that you know, could be valuable in future careers outside of football or even in football? Or are you sort of wary of openly giving other yeah. options than the ultimate goal of making it as a professional? No, I think um, I, I, I do see this sort of argument for both sides um, in the you know, if you're not 100% focused on being a footballer, how are you ever going to make it, essentially, which I personally don't agree with. Other, others will say different. But we, years ago, I almost felt like academies didn't feel it was their responsibility to create better people. It was, you are here to be a footballer, and that's it. Which And, and now we've tried to come away from that, really. And if we can, if we can sort of work on those life skills I mentioned before, I think I think that now is our sort of responsibility, really, because the players, especially when you get to obviously seventeen, eighteen, when they're on apprenticeship and they're in full time with us, they are spending you know, a large proportion of their life at the training ground, interacting with the staff, interacting with each other. So I think it would be um, negligent if we didn't try and work on those sort of uh, extra life skills away from the pitch. And, you know, we all know the statistic about those who, who make it, you know, it's a very, very small proportion of players go on to be uh, professional footballers at the highest level. And we accept that and we, you know, we make no bones about that when we talk to parents in meetings, when we talk to players in review meetings. So the you know, Dale Brunton heads up heads up our education side and he is is a really strong department um in the life skills section. Like the players will go out and learn how to cook. You know, they'll go and do a day's labouring wow. every now and then. Whether it's whether it's to scare the players or whether it's to say like this is the real world. So you've you've got to be prepared that if, if football doesn't work out, then you've got to be prepared to have some other skills. Um and from my experience I think the players have bought into that because they do see the importance of you know they might they might get a, a year's pro contract with us, but that's no guarantee of a career. So they might end up going to play for, a, you know, a, a sort of conference, you know, conference south side, but that's not full time. So they need something else. They need another skill. They need to be able to go out into the workplace and, you know, socialise with people and network and and you know, yeah, function yeah, really. Um, so yeah, I. You know, it's, it's it's a massive sort of cornerstone of what we do at Luton is that if they're not going to be a player, can they be a better person? And I'd like to think that the stuff that we do in the analysis department, say Dale with the education stuff does, and just the way we go about our day-to-day life and our day-to-day business will give give those players and those, those, those boys we interact with little skills here and there that will help them in, you know, in, in life. I- you said already that Luton's a, a, a Cat 3 academy, and I, I'm sure there are some unique challenges that come with yeah. that. But on top of that, I'd be interested to hear how Luton's academy seeks to get an edge over its bigger and wealthier neighbours to the south in London. Yeah. Yeah, so as you say, because of our proximity to London, we are, you know, all of our – and it is the case that our better players, there won't be a game goes by where there isn't a, a scout from a – from a category one or a category two club. Um, and, you know, as a, as a category three club, I'm afraid that's the way life is at the moment. So as you say, how can we, how can we attract the best players around us 
and how can we keep our best players without holding them back? You know, if, if it's clear that they are, they've got huge potential and go into a, a better facility with, you know, more staff or a higher level staff, essentially, maybe, um, you know, we're not going to hold those players back, but it's, it's finding clever ways to do what you can that doesn't cost huge amounts of money, doesn't, necessarily cost huge amounts of man hours um, and take away from the essential parts of your job. So for example, the, you know, the change in our analysis sessions, I feel that's a way where we can, we can keep players with us because I think it's something different. Uh, It's something new, It's something that we've had feedback from players that they find interesting. So I think that's a big tick in sort of player retention rather than them going to a, you know, uh, either a, category one or category two club or you know even another category three club that's that's sort of begging them to go and play for them or go and sign for them for for whatever reason so the life skills program is massive i think shouting about what you do is quite important because you know i i think you can you can do loads of loads of really good things but if prospective players who haven't signed for your club yet or parents who don't you know, don't know what you do. If you shout about it, I think it's a it's a great adver- advertisement for what the club does. So if, if if a parent's got a choice between three clubs, then you know what what does Luton do that Chelsea don't? What does Luton do that Milton Keynes Dons don't, for example? Um, and we've got really passionate staff that care about player development, which I think you know is is re- obviously really important. But it then becomes uh, their role outside of a nine to five. So there will be people answering emails, you know, in the evening. There will be people organising tours. But our tour program for our foundation phase is, whenever we get new parents in, it's they're like, I, I can't believe we're going on another tour, or like the teams that are in the tours. So I think that's another sort of uh, string to our bow. That so in different departments we try and really challenge each other to are we doing this the best we can you know is, is there something different we can do is you know is there is there something that other people aren't doing that we can try and do it might it might not work but we we know for next time we know that if someone else you know suggests it we know you know we tried that it didn't quite work so i think it's having the staff to do it it's having the people in hierarchy who are very supportive of what we do the club as a whole are really supportive of the academy. The first team are really supportive of the academy. And it's, you know, I think that environment, it sort of really pushes us forwards in terms of player recruitment um, and sort of enticing the players in and then keeping hold of them when they are in. And, that's, you know, there's no false promises there. Everything we advertise, you know, we do, um, which I think is important. Um, but it is it's definitely an uphill battle sometimes when, you know, at the end of the season, all your, all your best players are going to, you know, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea and so on. And it's not, sometimes there's not a lot you can do. So it's what we can do within budget, man hours and, and fee- what's feasible really. And, and you possible. speak of the, the tours as well. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm sure it was Luton Town that I read about last year who's had, I want to say under eights, under nines, beat Juventus in a tour in Dortmund or something in a cup final. That, that's right. Is yes. It? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. I thought, funny really? enough, I was oh, on that brilliant. tour. <laughs> um, so yeah. I was, yeah, I was. Um, and see, so that age group that came in uh, were under eights at the time. 
And uh, like in Europe, they do it rather than under whatever they do. So you were born in the year 2000 or 2000 and whatever. So, um, yeah, so we, we went over to Germany. I'd, I'd been over a, a few times to Germany and uh, various other countries. And it's it's a completely different environment. Um, it's it's about winning there. So it's it's whereas I mentioned before, where academy football is all about development, development, learning, learning. Um, there there has to be a competitive element in there somewhere because for me and for a lot of the staff in the academy, you know, the the players need to learn how to deal with losing, winning, drawing, how to deal with pressure, and competitive environments bring all of that in one sort of glorious crucible really um so yeah that, that that tournament in particular some really really strong teams there uh like rotterdam Köln, and as you mentioned juventus in the final um and that was their first that age group that was their first um tour it was a lot of them it was their first real experience of of luton town as an academy um so and the fact that it was a positive one i.e we, we ended up winning it <laughs> which was quite incredible um um, but sort of just the, the manner of the coaching, I was doing analysis on it at under eights, which sounds crazy, but you know, it's, it's nothing too in depth. It's just sort of letting them watch the game back and just having a discussion with them about some of our thoughts as a coaching cool. staff and their thoughts as players. And, you know, the boys absolutely buzz off yeah. watching them play, like watching themselves play. Um, and for the parents, they've come into this environment, maybe not sure what academy football's like. And they've, you know, they've gone to Germany. It's a really good team bonding thing for players and parents. You know, the, the staff have given a good impression and, you know, the icing on the cake, they come back with a trophy and it obviously blew up a little bit. We ended up mm-hmm. on Match of the Day in BBC News, which is, you know, unprecedented. But for them, it's a really positive experience of academy football. So when we go back to that, what can we do to stop players getting, you know, picked by other bigger clubs? Stuff like that really, really helps. So yeah, our tour program is sort of one of our strong points, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, unfortunately, we haven't got yeah, it coming yeah, up. Uh, they're all cancelled due course. to the current climate, uh, which is a massive it's a, shame. It's a brilliant, but, it's a brilliant story. Um, yeah, it is. loads. Um, one, one thing I wanted to, to move on to as we come to sort of the, the back end of this podcast is um, your own analysis and your own preferences. And I wondered if there was anything that you you're personally fond of in helping with your own analysis and maybe something a little bit outside of the box that perhaps others wouldn't be aware of or wouldn't think to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, uh, in terms of software, cause that's sort of the bread and butter of most um, analysts really um, is uh, I know huddle and sort of sports code and game breaker are the, the sort of big players in the field. But over the last few years, there's been loads of companies sort of trying to, reinvent it and see what they can do that's better um and we we've been using a software called catapult uh, vision which is uh, a very essential like a, in at its basic level is is a clipping software um but it's it really allows me to clip the instances i want create statistics um create sort of visual diagrams of those statistics i can draw highlights on it um create playlists you know it's and it's all in one place, which is really has really helped my workflow because it cuts down on me having to flip between sports code to then go to Keynote to make a presentation slide to Excel to make a, a stats document, for example. It's all in one place. 
so that's something we've really found has been has benefited the, the club. Um, and that's one thing I would say to other analysts is to don't don't settle for what you have because I can almost guarantee there will probably be something out there that's either better or just a little bit different or suits your needs. Um, and as, there's loads of companies out there that are trying to sort of get contracts and stuff with professional sports teams. Um, so, you know, we've trialed so many different softwares over the last few months and some of them haven't been where we want them. Some of them are close. And then Catapult for me was a really good alternative to, to sports code. And it's, it's finding something that suits you as, as a, mm. as an employee, as a worker. Um, the most and as for me that was catapult and we also use something called global coach which um is endorsed by uh, rafael benitez and um it started off as an interactive ta- interactive sorry tactics board um but they've sort of progressed it from there um, and we use that for set pieces and patterns of play um and the sort of key for us with both these softwares is they're really easy for players to pick up on how to use them so it's really interactive for the players. So we can have an iPad on the side and then a sub substitute that might be going on in 10 minutes can go through all the set pieces and they're like, they're animated. They can move uh, players around. There's notes on them. Um, so it, it's, it's really tactile way and a, a sort of a different approach to how, how players can interact with analysis. Cause I think a lot of it is their introduction to analysis is sitting in a classroom or whatever and us presenting to them or they're asking them to present so if we can give them extra tools to better themselves at that then i think that makes my job easier because i don't have to dumb anything down i don't have to you know over explain things i can almost assume knowledge because i because i've seen them use it and then we can get on to the actual really important stuff and then that cuts analysis sessions down from an hour where everyone's lost interest by then to 15 minutes 20 minutes of real fine detail that's going to bet that's going to bet benefit everyone um so those are the sort of two main main things that we uh that we use in terms of software um and cpd is massive um so just asking clubs can we go and can we go and see what you do do you want to come and see what we do how about, you know, what have you got time for a 20 minute phone mm. call just to ask some questions? Because again, like I mentioned previously, if you're, if you're in your own little bubble, the world is going to pass you by. And, you know, in two seasons time, you are going to be the out of date analyst. Whereas if you keep asking questions, finding out what everyone else is doing, you know, there's that saying that a good coach is a good thief. Well, I, I don't see there's any yeah. difference between that and analyst, to be honest. You know, if you can pick, pick the best bits from different clubs and different people, and sort of build them into your repertoire, then that's, you know, I think that's a really good skill to have. So you need to be good at networking for that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, if, you know, if you can, if you can do it and the opportunity is there, then I think it's, I think it would be a shame not to use it. That's such a good point. And and Uh, that's so interesting to draw the parallels between coaching and and analysis. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of coaches listening that will be thinking the exact same thing, making sure they're continuing getting, new ideas mm. to, to help themselves develop um th- th- this has been this has been absolutely yeah. and um just so eye-opening i think the, la- the last question that I'd, I'd like to hear simon uh sorry i'd like to ask simon is um what advice would you give to someone who wants to be in your shoes in 
in the near future? Uh, so I, I get <laughs> asked this quite a lot. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a difficult answer. It's a difficult question to answer quite succinctly. Um, so in terms of me, I know I'm very lucky that perhaps I was in the right place at the right time in terms of getting a, an internship with with Lubin through the academy, uh, through the university, but. It's, I know that I worked very, very hard, um, and sacrificed quite a lot to get where I am now. Um, so for me, experience is huge. Um, because, you know, with coaching, you can go and do your level one, two, UA for B, UA for A kind of thing. And that's, that's almost your, your key to the door. But analysis is not quite like that, where there's, you can do a master's in analysis, um, and you can do little courses here and there. But there's no sort of gold standard. If you get this qualification, mm. you'll get a job, sort of thing. So for me, the experience is massive. You've you've got to volunteer. Um, you've got to, you know, put yourself out there. And uh, I think one thing that people sometimes are afraid to do is invest in themselves. So I went out and bought a camera, just you know, hundred and something pound from Argos or whatever it was, and went to like all the local teams around us. So, you know, can I film your games and offer a little bit of analysis, you know, just for free? As I say, it's, it's volunteering and, and that's that's building up your portfolio of work, you know, analysing sort of uh, games that you see on the TV. Um, any opportunity you have to build up your own portfolio is massive because, as I say, there's no gold standard qualification. So clubs are going to look at, you know, do, do you have a relevant degree? Which is essential uh, now for the role, but what's your, you know, what's your experience elsewhere? And if I see on your CV that you've got, th- you know, two years of volunteering, three years of volunteering unpaid, that as well as that, or he, he knows what he's doing, that demonstrates a great work ethic, that, and you know, a passion for the field because mm. three years unpaid is a long time, so you're not willing to give it up easily. You, you know, this is something you want to do, and then you know. Once you do get your foot in the door, you know, you, you might be really lucky and get a paid role. You might be really lucky and get a high up role in a first team somewhere or a 23s role. But um, don't be afraid to sort of look around what's what's out there kind of thing. Uh, you know, you, you will will build an affinity with a club you're working at, which, you know, I, I'm a Luton fan now because, you know, because I've been there a while and you obviously want everyone in the club to do well. But you've got to see if there's a better opportunity up in up in Blackburn or in Norwich or something, you know, don't be afraid to sort of take that leap essentially, which I think comes yeah. back to investing in yourself. Um, so yeah, you, you know, your experience investing in yourself and, and, and the networking side is massive because you know, it's, there's a sort of a saying that does go around in, in football as well as other businesses is, mm. it's who, you know, not what, you know, and that's not the be all and end all, but it's absolutely key. If you you know if if you're applying for a role somewhere else and you know the analyst or you know a couple of staff members, they're sat in the other end going actually yeah he's you know I've had a really good experience with him or you know let's let's push him onto the next stage kind of thing and it, you never know where that might take you. Um, so <laughs> I'm afraid it's it's not a structured do this qualification buy this and you'll you'll get a job. Uh, I'm afraid it, it's it's a lot of building a lot of thing a lot of things into one CV and one sort of package as you as a person and just persevere with it and one day someone will give you an opportunity and then just hold on to it and 
don't let anyone that's, take it. That's from phenomenal you, answer. Yeah, there you go. I can tell. I can tell you've been asked that question because that was that was <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was very I've, good. I've had a lot of practice. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Simon. Uh, we really appreciate it. Simon, are My you pleasure. on Twitter or anything, or do you want to plug anything? Go for it. Yes. Um... I I tell you what, my best okay. one is is LinkedIn. That's the one I use most. Um, so just Simon Dunn on LinkedIn and uh, Luton Town, and you'll find me. Um, I'm sort of trying to post helpful things on there and connect with people. So I'm you know I'm available. If you drop me a message, I might might not reply within five minutes, but you know within one or two days, I'll try and get back to people with you know answers or some some hopefully some helpful advice there you, on, uh, there you go. on what they've Brilliant. got to ask thank you so but, much yeah. Simon and thank you for listening 